Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. Amen? Amen. All the saints truly adore him. Let's continue our worship now as we turn to the book of Genesis. What am I doing here? Genesis chapter 1. And verse 1. And if you would, please stand with me for the reading of God's word. Genesis 1.1, this is God's word. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Heavenly Father, we pray that you would be glorified by this time as Cam prayed and that your name would be exalted. Uh, You are truly worthy of our praise. It's a delight to give it to you. Uh, We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. You can be seated. Uh, Let's just dive right in here this morning. If you've been with us these past few weeks, you've known, you'll know that we've begun our study in the book of Genesis. We have, like Moses atop the mountain, uh, the summit of Mount Sinai, prayed, Lord, let us know your ways. We don't just want to know of his miracles, his acts, or even the undeniable reality of his existence from our time in this book. We're not interested in mere head knowledge or mere intellectual assent into such magnificent truths, but we want to know him. We want to know his ways. We want to know his holy character, his divine nature. We want to know of his glorious perfections, his majestic attributes. We want to truly know our Lord so that we can truly trust our Lord in every detail of our earthly lives, in every circumstance, and in every situation. Well, right from the beginning, right from the start of it all, through his divine revelation to Moses and subsequently to the rest of us here, we've already learned of many of these ways. Last week, we looked at three in particular We looked at his infinitude. He is not bound by anything at all. He is not bound by time or space or matter. He exists outside of time and space and matter. He transcends time and space and matter because he created time, space, and matter. In fact, he is completely immeasurable. He is unlimited in all of his perfections. He is Without measure, he is without constraint. He is not constrained or restrained by anything in any way, shape, or form. Certainly not by those limitations which we are all subject to and operating within on a day-in, day-out basis. Why, even that phrase, day-in, day-out, is ultimately moot when speaking of the divine nature and character of the living God, who again transcends time itself. Not only... Is he infinite with regard to the things that his creation is subjected to, but all of his attributes, all of his characters, all of his perfect ways are also without measure, meaning he has infinite knowledge. He has infinite wisdom. His wisdom is an infinite wisdom. He knows all things. He knows all things about all things. He is infinitely holy. He is measureless with regard to his holiness. He is all holy. He is infinitely just. He is infinitely righteous. He is righteous without measure. He is all righteous. He is infinitely present. He's omnipresent. He 
is present within all manner, time, and space. He transcends space. He is all present. He is without limitation as it pertains to his power. He has an unlimited power. He has all power over all things at all times and in all ways. Therefore, he is all-powerful. That is the infinitude of God, which we said was of utmost significance to us, finite, limited, sinful human beings, as we can always turn to him, lean upon the infinite God of all creation for that which we need most, right? Namely, his infinite compassion, right? His infinite mercy, his infinite grace and his steadfast, infinite love, which never ceases, but rather endures forever and ever. We also learned of his self-existence. His existing, not from any other source, but rather his existing, ah, from, see, oneself. That's where we get the Latin term, aseity. He is from himself. And he's the only one who can make this claim. He was not, nor is not, dependent upon anyone or anything else in any way to give him life, to sustain his existence. Again, unlike all of us who are completely and totally dependent upon an outside source to function, to give us oxygen, light, water, food, to operate within this world of boundaries and limits, he is dependent upon absolutely nothing, absolutely nobody. He has life within himself, infinite life, everlasting life, right? We looked at his eternality. I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God, who is, who was, who is to come, the Almighty. Moses confirmed he is from everlasting to everlasting. He has always existed before the beginning of the beginning. That's why we took some time last week to look at the first four words alone, In the beginning, God, right? The God who is. Moses said, what should I tell the Hebrews? What should I tell them? I'll I'll tell them the God of our father Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob sent me, but they're going to say, what's his name? What should I say? Remember, God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, thus you shall say to the sons of Israel, I am has sent me, has sent you. I am who I am, was, is, is to come, all in between. I have always existed in absolute perfection. I have always existed without beginning, without am, I just am. Without end, I just am. This is, this is really incomprehensible to us, unfathomable, this concept of Eternality so far transcends our ability to grasp in our finiteness that, again, some have asked, what's the point? What's the point in studying these, these truths revealed to us if we can't then fully grasp them? Well, as we said last time, the point is he has revealed them to us, okay? Plainly, clearly, and according to his divine word. He has revealed these truths to us. He is eternal, Without time, sure, this is incomprehensible to its fullest extent, but in his infinite grace, his 
infinite, everlasting grace and mercy, he has chosen to let us in on the answers to perhaps some of the biggest questions that reside within the hearts of mankind. What is life? Why are we here? What are we doing here? Where did we come from? Where are we going? Earth's joys grow dim. Its glories pass away. Change and decay in. All around I see. No. Gotta back me up. Our loved ones, they're here one second, they're gone the next. Where'd they go? Why did they go? What will happen when I inevitably die? What is the meaning of all this? What's the purpose? What's the point? Have you ever asked those questions? Sure. I assume we all do it at some point. That the bigger question, however, may be whether, whether or not you're ready to hear the answers. The truth. Can you handle the truth? Has, has your heart been prepared from before time itself by this same all-infinite, self-existent, eternal God to be able to hear his truth, to receive his truth, to believe his truth in its plain, literal meaning? Its plain, literal interpretation? Even if it's really, really humbling to hear. Maybe even offensive uh, to hear along the way. Are, are you ready for the truths that you'll hear over these next few weeks and months? Well, as they say down south, we're fixing to find out. <laughs> what is life? Where did we come from? What is the purpose of all this? Answer, Genesis 1.1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Here's the Reality of realities, whether you believe it or not. Here's the truth of all truths, whether you believe it or not. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Again, there was a point in time, which we've already determined is an an inadequate word for this context, but it's one that we're forced to use, one that was provided to us by God himself as he condescended to our finiteness and our limited comprehension of these eternal truths. But there was a time, a point before this verse, before the beginning, before the start, before the genesis, before the origin of the universe, there was a point when the eternal God began his work of creation. That's Genesis 1-1 in a nutshell. By sovereign decree... Before the universe and all that is within existed, God began his marvelous work of creation, okay? And it's a work that was only performed by one. He is the lone creator of all things. He is the lone possessor of the distinctive title. The name creator is reserved for this God and this God alone. The God of Genesis 1-1 is the only one who is qualified for this position. Why? Because he is the only one who is able to fulfill all the duties and the tasks and requirements put forth in the job description. Nobody else has the skills. Nobody else has the capability or the competence or the credentials to bring about the very creation of all things. There is only one. 
And the amazing thing is that he's declaring his resume right here from the very first words of this divinely inspired book. He's telling us his resume. Think about this for a moment. The one true living God, the one who has always existed, the one who will always exist, right here in verse 1, began creating everything that you and I have ever known. And he's telling you this morning, and he's telling me how he began the initiation of all things. Isn't that incredible? That we, get to, that we get to hear about this? That we get to hear about how all things came into being. All things, from the greatest galaxies to the tiniest cells and atoms, from the billions of galaxies, which we're only a part of one of the smaller ones here, the, the billions of galaxies, which contain hundreds of billions of stars each, spiral galaxies, elliptical galaxies, irregular galaxies that contain suns and moons and planets far greater than those in our galaxy, in our solar system, galaxies that we can't even come close to even thinking about exploring, but rather are only able to see them as tiny little blips. Even with the largest, most expensive telescopes that we've been able to launch up there, galaxies which are a part of the highest heavens, the very ends of space itself which we can't even grasp. Yep. All the way down to the granule cell of the cerebellum. The tiniest known neuron. Of which there are some 50 billion residing within each and every one of our brains as we all sit here right now hearing these words. And all in between. In the beginning... God created the heavens and the earth, which is his way of saying to us, I created and am therefore sovereign over everything. 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 All space. All time. All mass. All matter. All power. All energy. All force. The great I am was the source. And here's how it happened in the initial phases. Then he tells us throughout the rest of the chapter. Isn't that amazing? The word for created here is bara. Again, it's the initiation, the inauguration of something new, completely new. In other words, as Noel said earlier, he didn't simply reform existing matter like all of us do whenever we create something. You see, we don't actually create, we just form, we shape, we construct things out of already existing materials that were provided to us, right? But God, he creates from nothing, ex nihilo. You know that word? Latin, ex nihilo, from nothing, out of nothing. You know, I looked up some studies, some experiments performed by astrophysicists and professors of various specialties and practices where they had claimed to create or initiate something new based on their experimentations and their understandings of certain findings. I'll give you just a small taste of what some might call the egomania that I had to endure. Quote, In the proposed experiment illustrated here, 
A postage stamp sized synthetic diamond membrane containing nitrogen based light detectors is suspended in a supercooled metal box that creates a vacuum. The membrane, which acts like a tethered trampoline, is accelerated at massive rates, producing photons. They've produced photons. Now, I'm not even going to pretend to know what that means. <laughs> I'm on the other end of the spectrum from these people, like way on the other end. What the article. I think what they're saying here, and what the article insinuated was, we've created light. Well, I'll tell you this. Even a nitwit like myself was able to cut through all the jargon and see that the photons, or the light particles that were created by these physicists, were produced using other materials at their disposal, including the stamp-sized synthetic diamond membrane suspended in the supercooled metal box which they were able to assemble, observe, and then record their findings, all while relying completely and totally upon the neural connections in their ginormous, ultra-intelligent brains, brains that were given to them by the only one who could give it to them. Brains given them by the, by the one that they spend their entire lives then trying to disprove. But what about God? What about God in Genesis 1.1. Well, this God is infinitely wise. He is infinitely, perfectly knowledgeable. He is infinitely, perfectly powerful, giving him and him alone the ability to create something out of nothing. Just him. It's only him. Charles Spurgeon wrote, Of what did God make the world? Was there any substance ready to his hand out of which to mold this round globe? What saith the scripture? Did he not make it of nothing? Spurgeon said, we have never yet grasped the idea of nothing. The eye cannot see it. It might peer into space, but space itself is something. We look up and yonder is the blue sky, though we know not what it is, but the eye could not look on nothing. It would be blinded. Nothing is a thing which the senses cannot grasp. Yet, it is out of this awful nothing that God made the sun and moon and stars and all things that be. Had he spoken before creation, there would have been no voice to answer him. Had he cried, there would have been no echo to repeat his voice. Nothing was there anywhere. He spake it, and it was done. He commanded, and stood fast. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and he did so ex nihilo, from nothing, right? Interestingly now, that word for God there, we touched on this a bit last week, but that word for God there is the Hebrew Elohim. It means the supreme God. It's a name that emphasizes his majesty and his omnipotent reign. It's important to know, as uh, Henry Morris points out, that the im ending is the Hebrew plural ending, so the Elohim can actually mean gods, and this is so translated in various passages referring to the gods of the heathen, like Psalm 96. For all the gods, Elohim, of the people are idols. But Yahweh, Jehovah, the existing one, made the heavens. Elohim can actually mean gods. However, as Morris notes, 
It is clearly used here in Genesis 1-1 in the singular as the mighty name of God, the creator. The first of over 2,000 times where it is used in this way. Thus, Elohim is a plural name with a singular meaning, a uniplural noun, thereby suggesting the uniplurality of the Godhead. God is one, yet he is more than one. It's Morris' words. Now, A nod to the Trinity may very well be the best interpretation of this first usage, but scholars, even reputable ones, aren't all in agreement on that. What we can say for sure, based on the multiple examples throughout the remainder of God's holy and inspired revelation, is that all three persons within the Godhead were present and active at this point. All three eternal persons were active in the creation of all things, not working independently from one another, but in perfect unity and perfect harmony as always. There was a triune participation in the creation of all things. The Father participates in creation. He initiates creation. Isaiah 40, verse 21, Do you not know? Have you not heard? Has it not been declared to you from the beginning? Have you not understood from the foundations of the earth? It is he who inhabits above the circle of the earth, and its inhabitants are like grasshoppers. It is he who stretches out the heavens like a curtain and spreads them out like a tent to inhabit. That's God the Father. To whom then will you liken me, that I would be his equal, says the Holy One. Lift up your eyes on high and see who has created the stars, the one who leads forth their host by number. He calls them all by name. Because of the greatness of his vigor and the strength of his power, not a one of them is missing. Isaiah 45, 12. It is I who made the earth, created man upon it. I stretched out the heavens with my hands. I ordained all their hosts. That's God the Father, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. The same one who Paul speaks of when he says, For us there is one God, the Father, from whom all things are, and excuse me, from whom are all things, and we exist for him. And one Lord Jesus Christ, by whom are all things, and we exist through him. Let me put a better emphasis on that. For us, there is one God, the Father, from whom are all things, and we exist for him. One Lord Jesus Christ, by whom are all things, and we exist through him. What is the meaning of life? Why do we exist? Well, he just told us, we exist for him. That's his words. We exist for him. The Father participated in and initiated the creation. The Son also participated in the creation and mediated the creation, okay? The Son, by whom are all things. The Son, through whom we exist. We just read that. He was there. As the eternal Son of God. We read it last week, John chapter 1. All things came into being through him. Apart from him, nothing came into being that has come into being. That's the word, the one who came into the world. Colossians 1. For in him all things were created, both in the heavens and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, All things have been created through him and for him. Do you see the mediating role of the Son of God? The mediating work, I should say, of the Son of God here. Hebrews chapter 1. God, the Father, 
having spoken long ago to the fathers and the prophets and in many portions and in many ways, in these last days spoke to us in his Son, whom he appointed heir of all things, through whom he also made the world, who is the radiance of his glory and the exact representation of his nature. He upholds all things by the word of his power, who, having accomplished cleansing for sins, sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. That's the Son. Revelation chapter 3. And to the angel of the church in Laodicea write, This is what the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of creation of God says. Well, who was it, John? Who's that? Who is the Amen, faithful and true witness, who was with God at the beginning and who who was God at the beginning? Well, he tells us at the very end of the revelation, as he closes his letter and he closes the entire revealed word of God, he who bears witness to these things says, yes, I am coming quickly. What does John say? Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. None other than the Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of God. God the Son participated in the creation of the heavens and the earth and the Spirit. God the Holy Spirit. He was the agent of creation. We don't even get out of the next verse without hearing directly and specifically about him. The earth was formless and void. Dark was over the, darkness was over the surface of the deep. And who was there hovering over the surface of the waters? That's right. Holy Spirit. Spirit of God. Job said, the Spirit of God has made me. The breath of the Almighty gives me life. He's giving you life right now as you sit there. The Spirit is giving you life. He said, by, the, by his breath, the heavens are made beautiful. Isaiah 40, who has measured the waters in the hollow of his hand? Marked off the heavens by the span and calculated the dust of the earth by the measure and weighed the mountains in a balance and the hills in a pair of scales. Who has directed the spirit of the Lord? Or as his counselor has informed him. Speaking all the various facets of creations, everything that we see day in, day out, the psalmist writes, you send forth your spirit, they are created. Spirit. God the Holy Spirit, along with God the Son and God the Father were all active participants in the creation of the heavens and the earth. One author wrote, The God who created the universe is the triune God revealed in the Bible. This work was not distributed. Rather, each person of the Trinity acted in concert with the other two persons. Each person worked fully and in concert with one another in the creative act. Even in the creation of man, Right, the, the evidence of a triune God is on full display. Then God, Elohim, said, let us make man in our image. In our image, according to our likeness, so that they will have dominion over the fish of the sea, the birds of the air, and the cattle, over the cattle and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. That's the participation in creation. Now let's briefly touch on the duration of creation. And I'm not going to get into the age of the earth discussions this morning, nor the definition of a day, or the duration of a day complete with morning and evening, which is somewhat comical to me that it's even debated. 
Again, we'll touch on all that next week. I will say, however, just so there's no surprises, I, I could be accused of being an old earth preacher. That's right. If that is, we're talking about the possibility of the earth being 10,000 years old instead of the much more likely 6,000 years old. Calm down, Michael. <laughs> but I'm not going to get into it this morning. I just can't do it. Can't do it. I, uh, I want to talk about the instantaneous nature of the creation and the, of the heavens and the earth. Specifically, when, when God decreed, when he freely determined that all things would come into existence, how long this took, okay, and the means by which they came to be. Because he tells us clearly, did you know that? Oh, yeah. He tells us both how and how quickly all things came into being on their specific days. Okay, Psalm 33, 6. By the word of Yahweh, the heavens were made. By the breath of his mouth, all their host. Psalm 148 says, praise Yah. Praise Yahweh from the heavens. Praise him in the heights. Praise him, all his angels. Praise him, all his hosts. Praise him, sun and moon. Praise him, all stars of light. Praise him, heaven of heavens and the waters that are above the heavens. Let them praise the name of Yahweh. For he commanded, they were created. They were, they were created at his word, at his, at his breath. He, he commanded them to be, and they were instantly We already heard the writer of Hebrews speaking of the Son, through whom the Father made the worlds, uh, the one who upholds all things by his what? Word. By the word of his power. By his word, he upholds all things. And by his word, he created all things. Ex nihilo, from nothing. He gave the command, and they were created, just like that. Later in Hebrews, we read, By faith, we understand that the worlds were prepared by the word of God, so that what is seen was not made out of things which are visible. By his word. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and he did so by the word of his power, and he did so instantly, instantly. Now, why is that so hard to believe? That, that he can create ex nihilo and in an instant. I mean, considering what we've read about his infinitude, his perfections know no bounds. He is unfettered by time, space, and matter. He created time, space, and matter. He has perfect, unlimited power, Right? Uh, uh, a universe with billions of galaxies, each with billions of stars and planets, including ours, which is home to billions of brains, all containing billions and billions of cells. That's no sweat for God the Almighty. Why is it so hard to believe that he created everything in six days? Why? Setting an an example for his creatures. Uh, Six days you work, seven days you rest. I don't... I don't get why we think it's so difficult for him that, that it had to take billions of years to, for us to end up where we are. I said I wasn't going to get into it today. <laughs> Next week, Lord willing. Look, all I'm saying is, it, if you truly understand the omnipotent power, 
the, the perfect limitless, the boundless, omnipotent power of the Lord God Almighty, then the real question becomes, six days, what took you so long? And I'm not saying that in, a, in an irreverent way. I'm not. But only to demonstrate that he can do all things freely. He doesn't have to ask permission from anybody. He can do all things all the time, freely. I mean, those, those, those galaxies, the Milky Way, the sun, the moon, the stars, the earth spinning on its axis, any further away we'd freeze, any closer we'd all burn up. What do, what do you think holds that all together? Chance? Happenstance? No. But only the mere sovereign good pleasure of an limitlessly powered God, I should say, one with unlimited power. It's his word that upholds all things. It's not chance. It's not some, I don't know, I'm not going to get into it. He upholds how many things? All things. All things by the word of his power. All things coming about out of nothing in an instant, in a breath, by the power of the sovereign creator of the heavens and the earth. It's incredible. It's mind-blowing. So we've seen the initiation of creation. In the beginning, God created. We've seen the participation in creation, the Eternal Father, Son, and Holy Spirit were all present, all active at the beginning, and we've seen the duration of creation as he spoke all things into existence, ex nihilo, out of nothing, and only by the word of his power. Now, my brothers and sisters, I I want to encourage you all today to marvel at the glory of the Lord God Almighty, which is on display through his creative works. I want to encourage you to follow the pattern of the divinely inspired human authors who throughout the scriptures, both Old and New Testaments, are seen praising the Lord Most High for the magnificent and majestic demonstration of his infinite power and work in speaking the very universe into existence, okay? Even in the earliest of writings, these terms, heavens and earth, from the highest heavens to the lowest lands are repeated over and over and over again. And always attached to them is a reverential awe and wonder and worship directed at the Lord God. First Chronicles 16. For great is Yahweh, greatly to be praised, and he is more fearsome than all gods, for all the gods of the people are idols. But Yahweh made the heavens. Second Chronicles 2. Then Hurim said, Blessed be God, the God of Israel, who has made heaven and earth. Nehemiah writes, You alone are Yahweh. You have made the heavens, the heaven of heavens, with all their hosts, the earth and all that is on it, the seas and all that is in them. You gave life to all of them. And the heavenly host bows down to you. Psalm 8, When I see your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have established, What is man that you remember him? The son of man that you care for him? That's a great question. Psalm 89, the heavens are yours. The earth is also yours. Also is yours. The world and its fullness, you have founded them. 
Again, Moses in the 90th Psalm. Lord, you have been our dwelling place from generation to generation. Before the mountains were born or you brought forth the earth and the world, even from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. These are psalms of praise, songs of worship, adoration, admiration, exultation, specifically for the creative work of God. But why? Well, it was a constant reminder to those who came before us that the one who spoke all things into existence is the same one who reigns supreme from end to beginning, all in between. Therefore, every experience in their lives, the highs, the lows, the ups, the downs, the joys, the sorrows, the successes, the trials, in times of peace and in times of war, they could have confidence that he was in control of all of it. Right? And therefore, they could praise him and worship him even in the most difficult seasons in their life. May the same be true for us here at Lakewood. May may we follow their example of faith and the truth that the sovereign creator of the heavens and the earth reigns supreme over all things. Amen? Well, I'll tell you this. as, As fascinated as the psalmists and others were at the creative work of the Lord Most High, this praise and exaltation doesn't just come from mere earth dwellers alone. I want you to turn with me to Revelation chapter 4. You need to see this in your own Bibles. Don't take my word for it. Okay, don't, you're going to need to see this in your own Bible. That's how cults get started. They just take every... Don't take my word for it. I get really excited about this Revelation chapter 4. I might add something in there that's... The Revelation to John. <coughs> John, <coughs> this, this whole chapter is, is incredible. Because it's in this chapter we are given a glimpse into the very throne room of heaven. John just gets done receiving specific instructions to the churches given by the glorified risen Christ we spoke of earlier when he says this in verse 1. After these things I looked, behold, a door standing open in heaven, and the first voice which I heard, like the sound of a trumpet speaking with me, said, come up here, I will show you what must take place after these things. He's actually being taken into heaven by an angel. So what does this look like? Well, he says the focal point of everything, right there in the center of it all, is a throne. Verse 2. Immediately I was in the Spirit, and behold, a throne was standing in heaven, and one sitting on the throne. And he who was sitting was like a jasper stone and a sardius in appearance. There was a rainbow around the throne like an emerald in appearance, and Around the throne were 24 thrones, and upon those thrones I saw 24 elders sitting clothed in white garments and golden crowns on their head. And out from the throne came flashes of lightning and sounds and peals of thunder, and there were seven lamps of fire burning before the throne, which are the seven spirits of God. And before the throne there was something like a sea of glass, like crystal. Okay, now we're stretching these minds a bit, right? What in the world is all this? Well, it's not from this world at all. It's not of this world at all. It's the uncorrupted abode of God. Notice how many times he says like here. 
He's trying to explain the unexplainable in, in mere human terms. And in the center and around the throne, four living creatures full of eyes in front and behind. And the first creature was like a lion. The second creature was like a calf. The third creature had a, had a face like that of a man. The fourth creature was like a flying eagle. Now listen, while, while John may not be able to adequately explain to us exactly what these heavenly creatures were or what they look like, there are zero questions as to what they are doing there. There is no mistaking their activity before the throne. This John is crystal clear on. Verse 8. And the four living creatures, each one of them having six wings, are full of eyes around and within. And day and night, they do not cease to say, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God, the Almighty, who was and is and is to come. Holy, holier, holiest. He is perfectly holy. He is immaculate. He is complete. He is perfectly pure, perfectly undefiled. God's holiness is what makes God God. And all of heaven is worshiping him for it day and night. Verse 9. When the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to him who sits on the throne, to him who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders will fall down before him who sits on the throne and will worship him who lives forever and ever and will cast their crowns before the Lord, saying, before the throne, saying, Worthy are you, our Lord and our God, to receive honor and power and glory. But why? Why is he and he alone worthy to receive glory and honor and power for all of eternity? Why are they praising him, falling down before this throne, worshiping him unceasingly? Look at verse 11 with your own eyes. For you created all things, and because of your will they existed and were created. That's what they're praising him for. My brothers and sisters, I, I want us to walk out of this place today meditating upon the magnificent truths that have been revealed to us by the, this morning by the same holy, holy, holy Lord God Almighty. That, that as we walk out of these doors, that we wouldn't forget John's testimony as he entered in through this heavenly door into the very throne room of the Most High God. And what he sees there, and what he saw there, what we see there is this celestial celebration, and that this celebration, this adulation, this exaltation is for his sovereign work in creation. It's Genesis 1.1 in Revelation 4.11. That's what we see here. There's an unceasing prostration and glorification of the same God for all of his wondrous work in the creation of the heavens and the earth, for his Wonderful work in the creation of all things, including them. Including those creatures. They give him praise because he gave them the ability to give him praise. He gave them the ability. He, he gave them life. He, he allowed them to have the privilege of worshiping him, of even existing in the first place. And guess what? 
he did the same for all of us. Which is why the, the creation of the heavens and the earth should be at the foundation of our worship as well. That's the basis. That we were created for worship. What is the chief end of man? No? To glorify God and enjoy Him forever. Well, the only way that we're able to do that is if, by His sovereign will, He gives us the ability to live in the first place. And then, by His grace, reveals His glorious nature to us. Not only through His creation, which constantly declares His handiwork, but also through His holy and inspired work. And I'll just tell you, where I'm standing, it looks like he's extended both of these graces upon all of you this morning. Okay? You're living here on this earth, right? You're breathing his air, right? You're hearing his word right now, are you not? So I'll ask the same question that I asked last week. What are you going to do about it? What are you going to do with it? Will you take him at his word? Will you believe in, in who he has clearly revealed himself to be, even in the very first verse of the first chapter of this first book of the whole Bible? I'll just, I'll just ask you straight up here. Is your heart one of those that has been prepared from before the foundation of the earth, prepared to believe from before the foundation of the earth? it would have had to be prepared then because in our natural state, the natural sinful state we were born into, uh, we were born separated from this holy God. So, So I'm asking you, has your heart been prepared to believe? Has it been prepared to believe even this first verse? And you say, well, how do I know? How how could a sinful wretch like me ever know a holy God like this? Well, as has been said, welcome to the fallen humanity club. All true believers have asked the same question, and all true believers have been given the same answer. You, You have to come to this holy God on his terms, his way. What is the way to the Father? Are there many ways to God, many ways to the Lord Almighty? Negative. There's only one way. And that is through the same mediating agent who was with him at the beginning, the perfect, eternal, sinless, spotless Son of God, the Lord Jesus Christ, whom the Father sent to the same earth that he spoke into existence, where he would be born of a virgin, where he would take on human flesh, existing as on this earth as both truly man and truly God, where he would live a perfect, sinless, spotless life as only a perfect God could, where he would walk this earth demonstrating the, the mercy of God, the compassion of God, the love of God, the power of God as he performed miraculous signs and wonders. He was giving sight to the blind. He was giving hearing to the deaf. He was creating cells, limbs, arms, withered hands. He was creating muscles and tendons and ligaments ex nihilo. Out of nothing, by his very word, as as lepers were cleansed, as, as paralyzed men were running home to tell their friends about what had happened, though they had never walked before a day in their life. As they were miraculously healed in an instant, seas were calm. 
Winds were ceased. Even the dead, the dead were raised to life by his very word. The the perfect son of God who lived a, a blameless, sinless, spotless life full of love and grace and truth and compassion, yet it was the will of the father to crush his son, to deliver him over to the hands of lawless men where he would pay the ultimate sacrifice, where he would die a sinner's death, where he would be hung on a Roman cross, the same God who would breathe his last would be taken down from that cross, would be placed in an empty tomb, but would triumphantly raise from the dead three days later, having conquered sin and the penalty for sin and death for all who would believe in him and call upon his name alone. He conquered sin. He conquered death. He would ascend back up to the right hand of the Father on high and he would send his spirit to indwell those whom he has called from before the foundation of the earth, forgiving them, saving them, sealing them for eternal life with him in glory, giving them the ability to see, to believe, to glorify him for his mighty works. I would ask again, are you one of those? Are you one of those truly? Do you believe in his gospel? Do you believe in the power of his gospel which says that he will give you a new heart? Has he performed a miraculous work by creating a new heart within you? Have you been made to be a new creation by faith in the sacrificial death, burial, and resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ and the precious blood that was shed for your sin? Are you absolutely certain that his Holy Spirit resides within you, that he has placed his spirit within you? If you're not absolutely sure, I would, I would plead with you this morning to turn from your sin, including the sin of unbelief. Turn to the God of the creator of the heavens and the earth to cry out to him, to ask him to save your everlasting soul. If you're not sure that his spirit dwells on the inside of you, don't walk out of this place today. Don't leave this place. For he is worthy of your praise this morning as well as ours. Right? That's right. Next week, Lord willing, we're going to dive into that second verse. Verse 1 has been called the summary of the whole creative process, the initiation of creation. Verse 2 is the first stage of that creation. Verse 3 and on contain the details of the remaining stages of creation, days 1 through 6. Amen? All right, let's uh, pray now as we have Noel and the others come up to lead us in musical worship. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God the Almighty, who was and is and is to come. And it is our tremendous privilege, and we recognize it this morning, maybe not to the the fullest extent that we should, but we do recognize, Lord, that we are tremendously privileged, first of all, to be able to come into this place, to hear your word, to be instructed by your word, to be changed by your word, but then to meditate congregationally as a body on the glories contained within. We just, we can't thank you enough. We look forward to an eternity of praising your holy name for what's been done for us through the Lord Jesus Christ. It's in his name we pray, amen.